Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today we're discussing the CFL Combine in Edmonton. This year's selections for the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. The chances of the Ottawa Red Blacks trading the first overall pick in the 2023 CFL Draft. Dane Evans agreeing to a team-friendly contract with the BC Lions. And Sportsnet leaving the Riders and Elks off their St. Patrick's Day green jersey graphic. But first... Justin, Saskatchewan Rough Riders general manager Jeremy O'Day dropped a bombshell in his one-on-one sit-down with you at the CFL Combine, revealing that Canadian receiver Keon Schaefer-Baker has undergone off-season hip surgery and is not projected to be ready in time for the start of training camp, or end the regular season. What does that mean for the Riders' offense? It's going to hurt them to start the season, obviously, fellas, but they're going to get a healthy KSB back in the lineup and I think that means more than anything we got to remember this guy was playing with this labral tear in his hip which gets increasingly painful for the better part of last season and even the season before so he had almost a thousand yards with it and I think when he gets back healthy that we could see an even better Kean Schaefer Baker O'Day also told me in that interview that they don't view Kean with any nationality they don't designate him as an American they don't designate him as a Canadian I think we could probably just designate him as a superstar, but KSB has tons of upside. And I think for his future, he's going to be a free agent in February 2024, as we all know. And if you look at the NFL, you'd rather be healthy down there. If you were an NFL team looking to sign Keon Schaefer-Baker, and we know he had at least nine NFL workouts, they were going to go through the physical process before that deal was done. And this would have had to have been dealt with with an NFL team. And that's probably not something they would have wanted to take on. So I think it's smart in a way it's going to hurt him financially in the short term but in the long term it could be a big benefit when he's only 24 years old that's the other thing we have to remember this isn't a guy who's 27 and it's you know probably he's he's, you know he's out of the nfl at this point he's not going to get that opportunity he's going to be 25 next off season so obviously being healthy is going to be a benefit for him also beep 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 on that sound you're hearing these teams (laughs) backing up the truck for kian schaefer baker if he does in fact stay in the cfl next year I'm sure the riders would be more than happy to pay him that Curly Gittins Jr. Nick Dembski money, but somebody else could outbid them, right? That's what happens in this league is, is competition jacks up the prices. Shout out Kean Shaver Baker's agent. They're about to get paid. <laughs> One thing I will say, though, about the riders when it comes to their ratio, we know this past year they only started one Canadian on the defensive side of the ball. I believe that's going to change. Micah Tights is back from the injury that held him out of the entire 2022 season. And we know that they have that opening at linebacker with Darnell Sankey now playing south of the border in the XFL. So to me, they started two or even three receivers all of last year. You can now take one of those away. A guy like Samuel Emelis, who they took in the first round of last year's draft, should be ready for a larger role. So to me, you know, the ratio change softens the blow. Certainly at the start of the season, if in fact Kean Schaefer-Baker isn't ready for week one and a significant time beyond that. It's good to have that flexibility, but I don't even think they need to make that switch. They are deep at Canadian receiver. We know that Braden Lenius can start. Samuel Emelis, who they took in the first round last year, is a guy who needs a bigger opportunity. You've got Mitch Picton, who has pinch hit there before. And don't forget, guys, they went out and added Juwan Breskison in free agency, which was a move a lot of people looked at and said, why are they adding another talented Canadian receiver? There's not going to be a spot for him. Well, now... Clearly, the Riders knew this in advance. The surgery was going to happen. They had to go out and get somebody. 
who could potentially start at the start of the season for Keon Schaefer-Baker. So they're really well set up to maintain the ratio at that position until he returns. And boys, if Keon Schaefer-Baker was that good dealing with this injury for multiple seasons in the CFL, this was not a new thing, not a new development. He's had it for multiple years. How good is he going to be when he feels 100% and healthy again? He was struggling to practice, and I would imagine there would have been some cortisone shots to try to relieve that pain. The type of money that Hodge is talking about with Curly Gittins Jr. and Nick Dempsey, that's $200,000 range. And if Keen Shaper Baker puts down a 1,000-yard season, that's going to be easily the type of money that he could get. And obviously, there could be a bunch of NFL teams interested. The one thing that he's going to have to do is back up the year that he had in 2022 and do it in 2023 again coming off the surgery. He is young. You mentioned that, Hodge. He's 24 years old, so I think he should be able to expedite this recovery process potentially. That's why it's a projected timeline for him to miss part of the start of the season because sometimes these timelines can be sped up or sometimes they get lagged behind. So that's why I hesitate to put a timeline on. I've been asked about it multiple times and even asked O'Day that, but you just don't know. So you want to leave that totally up to the player and the one plus here for Schaefer Baker being under contract with Saskatchewan. They have the great facilities there and a medical staff that is taking care of him. He had the surgery with a doctor that's tied to the Rough Riders and he's being looked after by their rehab and training staff. So I think that's a major benefit to him. He'll be in Regina. And if you're the Riders as well, that's smart if he doesn't sign an NFL contract because he'll know how well you took care of him and potentially want to come back for maybe a little bit less. Very smart. And it's also worth noting, like, I just looked it up. The Riders' first game of the regular season isn't until June 24th. So they're still over three months away. And we all know exactly with these type of operations, it's hard to project exactly how things will play out and how his recovery will play out. So it remains to be seen. We're three months out. And obviously, I know Rider Nation is, is hoping that Kean will be back on the field as soon as possible. And frankly, I think CFL fans across the country should feel the same way because he is he's one of the most exciting players in the league. There's no question about it. The one concern with this injury that I see is Saskatchewan has a new quarterback in Trevor Harris coming in. He's going to miss those valuable reps in training camp, in the offseason, working with Harris to get that chemistry down. It may take him a little bit back to get back to form when he returns to the field healthy, just because that chemistry between quarterback and receiver, as you know, Don, is so vitally important. He's young and athletic enough. I think he'll be fine. And Trevor Harris is going to want to throw the ball to that dude. So I think they'll figure it out. I'm with you. Those reps could mean something, but I think they'll put in the extra work to be able to hit the ground running. So yeah, Cody Fajardo was just putting it in the ballpark. Keen <laughs> <laughs> like, Baker. I, I mean, that's not a shot of Fajardo. I, that's a compliment to Keen Schaefer Baker, right? I'm not saying Cody Fajardo can't hit a small window. What I'm saying is Keen Schaefer Baker is that guy, right, who you can just put it in the area. He's going to use that six-foot-four frame, that wide wingspan, to come down with the ball and make a lot of contested catches. So, to me, that that's all. 40-inch vert. We're here at the combine. That matters in those situations. All of us, I think, agreed last year the best player on offense for the Rough Riders was Keen Schaefer-Baker. But for some reason, they didn't target him more. No, yeah. Jason Moss is not the offensive coordinator, coordinator anymore. Maybe Kelly Jeffrey will change that up, but I think a healthy Kean Schaefer Baker, I hate using this terminology a lot of the times, but I think could actually be scary for CFL defensive backs because I don't think we've seen him hit his potential yet. I agree. 
The Canadian Football Hall of Fame has unveiled its induction class for 2023, including two first ballot selections. Hodge, how many are we up to now all time? 26 in the history of the Hall. So that's rare. The two this year were linebacker Solomon Alamimian and defensive end John Bowman also receiving the call to the Hall. Offensive lineman Josh Bork, Lloyd Fairbanks, defensive back Larry Crawford, former commissioner and Alouette's president Larry Smith, and trailblazing francophone coach Jacques Dussault. Who stands out to you in this class? I mean, Solly. I mean, it, it's got to be Solly. That's no disrespect to the other people who are recognized and all of whom are, are very deserving. But in 2014, Solomon Alamimian was named the most outstanding player in the CFL. It, it just doesn't happen. And that's not a Canadian thing. That's, that's, that's just a football thing, right? A, a purely defensive player. It's happened before the defensive guys have won that award, but it's always for... Their offensive contributions <laughs> back in the day when guys would play both ways. That goes without saying. So to make it as the MOP, as a guy who's playing exclusively on the defensive side of the ball, I believe Solomon Alamin also holds the CFL record for average tackles per games played over the course of his career. Whew. An unbelievable player. Uh, and a guy who I feel honestly lucky to have watched the whole time, right? Growing up, you hear names that guys who are in the hall or guys who are getting recognized. And some of the guys right, who are going into the Hall of Fame this year are players who played a long time ago, before JC was born, before I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I feel lucky that I got to watch the whole career of Solomon Alamimian you know, with the BC Lions. I mean, he had a very brief stint in the NFL, I believe, with the Minnesota Vikings. I have no idea why I didn't stick down there. Uh, fabulous player. And it's great that we still have him as part of the league, right? As the president of the CFLPA and that he's so involved and in, in at major events. And, you know, you, you can't say enough about what he was able to accomplish on the field. Very deserving first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, on that note, Hodge, Solly holds a special place in my heart. I, I wrote about this when he retired. He's the very first <laughs> CFL player that I ever interviewed in the press box, just hired by Three Down Nation to write on the lines. It's his return to BC with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Dunk sends me down to the locker room to interview Solomon Elamimian. I walk up to him. Here he is. I am taller than Solomon Elamimian, for the record. He is not for real? a tall dude. No, I'm about six foot. He's 5'10". And he's he's not necessarily chiseled or muscular in the way you might ex expect from, from an athlete of that level. He's sort of got a dad bod. But just ferocious. He's Dude, he's larger. You better be life. careful. Come on now. This is a compliment. Oh my goodness. Okay, good give JC credit for this. He knows exactly what a dad bod looks like. <laughs> Solly did not have a dad bod when he, he played. He is, Let's get that straight. He didn't he have is, a dad bod. No. He is impressive. That is a massive stretch. You better take that back right <laughs> Okay, now. fine. Take it back. <laughs> he wasn't necessarily chiseled. He had an athletic build. How about that? Much better. But he's just larger than life. And I walk into that room. And you told me, Doc, tell him Justin Dunks at you. He'll, he'll, he'll treat you right. So I go up, I squeak it out and say, Solly, Justin Dunks at I do it in the voice of you. Solly, hey, Solly, Solly, Justin Dunks at me. And he turns to me and he goes, Justin Dunk, I effing hate that dude. And I, there was almost an accident in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders visiting locker room. And then he smiled and he was just the most gracious dude ever. He said, I'm absolutely kidding. What do you need? How can I help you? <laughs> and that's been my experience with him in the years since. He is... It might not be now after you said he has a bad bud. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> yeah, that's going to change, bro. <laughs> but he's a unique individual, right? He, they don't make them like him very often. How physical he was on the field. How ferocious. How 
legitimately scary he was. He, it was like he played unhinged. And then how intelligent and insightful he is off the field doing the stuff he does with the union. He truly is a remarkable individual and will always have a special place in my heart. And also like super underrated as a pass guy. Like, mm-hmm. like I thought he was always way better. Like like we all think of him as like meeting meeting running backs in the hole and putting up hundred tackle seasons. I always thought he was great in, in pass coverage. And I don't know if he ever got his flowers for that. Definitely underrated. The thing that I can't understand, and you alluded to this earlier, Hodge, how did the NFL miss on this guy? Yeah. I get it. That point in time, the era that was the NFL, they were looking for more of the thumpers, right? The middle linebackers that could come downhill. But this dude was athletic. Like, why not put him at Will or Sam in the NFL? You could play that height. position. There's I think. Again, well, yeah, JC you know, just mentioned he's JC's taller than, than Solly. Like it's five ten. It. It's ask and it's ask silly. Big Hill about being you know five foot something in the NFL. It's just it's it's hard, right? It's hard. It's a great point. I remember talking to Adam Big Hill about his NFL stint with the New Orleans Saints, and he essentially did every single thing that you could do right, and was barely able to crack the roster, and I think got up for a couple games in that year with the Saints. So I understand it was Solomon Elamimi, but still, you just look at his career and you think. Yeah, he could have done that in the NFL. I really believe in, in the modern-day NFL, he would have been an outstanding middle linebacker. Now, it's obviously to the benefit of the CFL that he was in our league, and I think the CFL Players Association is lucky to have his leadership, and he's a very measured guy off the field, just like he was on it. And you mentioned him playing unhinged, but he was still able to dissect and stay within himself. We didn't see him get visibly upset too many times on the field. I mean, there is that famous halftime interview <laughs> of him with Jermaine Franklin. So good. I'll let you guys get into that more. JC just wrote about it recently. But that was controlled. He knew exactly what he's doing. He knew the words that were coming out of his mouth. He was mature beyond his years as a player. I have so much respect for him. Absolute epic rant. And then immediately he was calm, turns to Jermaine Franklin and just goes, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> One of the greatest halftime interviews of all time. I, I would pay money to have Solomon Elamimian repeatedly ask me, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Uh, oh, that's been great. It'd be like people paying, uh, I've, I've read that people pay Samuel Jackson to call him that word that he uses all the time. Like, that's that's no. what I want from Solomon. Uh, but let's talk about John Bowman because there, you know, we do have a full class to talk about. John Bowman to me is just synonymous with the Montreal Alouettes. Like in an era, especially later in his career where fans would complain all the time, right? About CFL teams having seemingly brand new rosters every year with guys who are in Calgary this year and Edmonton the next, and Saskatchewan the next, and Toronto the next, whatever. He played for the Montreal Alouettes from 2006 until 2019. Like, like he played 14, 15 seasons in La Belle Provence and was a nine-time East Division All-Star. I'm not sure he ever led the CFL in sacks, but for a guy who was able to stay healthy for that long, he missed very few games over the course of a very long career. And be that effective, even into his very late 30s, he was still putting up all-star caliber numbers. He was, in fact, an East Division all-star in 2019, his last year in the CFL. And just like Solly, I think we're lucky as a league that he is still a part of it. He was the defensive line coach of the BC Lions this past year. He is back, of course, to that capacity. And Full credit to him. The defensive line took a notable step, noticeable step forward mm-hmm. in 2022 under his leadership. So he's another player who was just a lifer uh, with the Montreal Alouettes, and I'm glad that we've managed to hold on post-retirement. They really did take a step forward, that defensive line group in BC. And you always wonder when these great players go into coaching, whether it will work. Because you see in various sports, guys like that, like a Wayne Gretzky, isn't necessarily a great coach. 
because he can't communicate the game because he was just naturally gifted at it. But John Bowman understood how to rush the passer at such a high level. And he's able to communicate that, that he can make the people around him better. And I think that is almost as impressive as what he did on the field. If we're going to talk about Alouettes, we've got to talk about Larry Smith and his impact on the league. Because I think it's from a league level in the Alouettes level. And he was with the Alouettes during the start of that process to be, can we call it a dynasty? I, I, I Absolutely, I think that's fair to I say. just don't think for a lot of people they won as many cups as maybe they should have in that era. But Larry Smith is a guy who still is in and around the league, right? We've heard him being even bandied about to potentially be the next Alouette's president or at least consult with the team. We'll see if that actually happens. But I think he guided the league through a period of uncertainty as a commissioner, and he's shown that he knows what to do as the president of a team. So he's helped this league out in multiple roles. Not a bad player either. Played eight seasons as a running back in the CFL. Goes on, he's the commissioner. Like the impact at every single level from Larry Smith is is truly remarkable. I do think we should touch on some of these veteran guys as well. Lloyd Fairbanks and, and Larry Crawford both waited far too long to get into the hall. I'm so happy to see them get that recognition. Crawford in particular, a guy who was an outstanding returner. And just a, a dynamic defensive back in terms of his ability to create turnovers. He's still fifth all time. 52 career interceptions. He was not in the hall until this year. Wow. That seems absurd to me. And, and a remarkable athlete, both in his time with the Lions and the Toronto Argonauts. Great bloodlines. Of course, his son now, J.P. Crawford, playing baseball with the Seattle Mariners. A great young player there. He's a guy who waited far too long to get in, and I'm happy to see him in now. Well, and Josh Bork, let's also mention Canadian left tackle. Played in an era where Canadians did not play left tackle. <laughs> and uh, he protected Anthony Calvillo's blindside through most of those dynasty years. Which, yes, they didn't win as many great cups as they maybe should have. They won three. They were in about 17, it felt like. <laughs> I think it was actually eight in 10 years, right? Uh, something like that. Some ridiculous number. It's easier to count the years they weren't in than the years they were in. <laughs> Otto Redblack's general manager, Sean Burke, spoke to the media this week. And told reporters that the CFL Combine will help clarify whether to trade the first overall pick in the 2023 CFL draft. Do you think the Red Blacks are sticking and picking, or will there be a deal involving the number one pick prior to May 2nd? Well, I think it's in flux right now. Burke is is genuine in his comments there. But if I was the Ottawa Red Blacks, I wouldn't want to move that pick. And I'll tell you why. This is not a particularly deep draft class. That doesn't mean there's not talent and there won't be diamonds in the rough found in the later rounds. But when you move out of that first overall selection, typically the reasoning behind that is you want to add more draft capital because there's other talent available later in the draft and you don't necessarily necessarily need to add the number one guy. I don't think this is a draft class like that. If Jared Wayne, the receiver from Pittsburgh, who you mocked as the number one pick, is in fact available and doesn't get an NFL opportunity, you can't miss out on that guy. He's going to be an exceptional player, head and shoulders above what you might be able to get if you pick up another second round pick. So it doesn't make a lot of sense from that standpoint for the Red Blacks to do that in this year. I mean, I spoke to uh, Elks general manager Chris Jones yesterday and I asked him about a trade he made earlier this season when he traded a second-round selection in this draft for a fifth-round pick last year, 
in Woodley Athlon. And he said there just wasn't a player as good as Woodley available in the second round in, in this year's class. That's what he feels in his assessment of this draft class. That's any indication of how the rest of the league also feels they're probably not looking to move out of that premier position at the top of the draft. If you're the Red Black, probably the only way that you do it is if you're getting a proven player right now you think can have a bigger impact than potentially a Jared Wayne or whoever else you may pick at the top of the draft. Or if you got multiple first-round picks back. That would be the only way that I could see it. And it was just recently when Danny Machocha traded up to number one overall to take Tyrell Richards number one when we thought he was going to go elsewhere. Who was it that held the first pick? It was Edmonton. It was Edmonton. We yeah. thought Jones loved Tyrell Richards. But that wasn't the case. Machocha jumps up. So oftentimes in this situation, guys, what we see is closer to the draft. When all the evaluations are done, teams have come to the combine, had the interviews, maybe double-checked some stuff on the pro days, went back and rewatched the film to confirm or deny some things that they thought based on the athletic testing. And then that's when we see the deal. It's happened multiple times since I've been covering CFL drafts. I remember all the way back when the Calgary Stampeders, I think either traded for or traded the first overall pick like minutes before the draft. So I think that's typically the time frame when it's going to happen is closer to May 2nd or probably in May, even though it's on the 2nd. But if I'm the Red Blacks, that's the only way I'm trading that first overall pick, especially with the lack of depth in the class, is if I get a proven player that's going to impact the roster right now or multiple first-round picks. Burke did infer that some conversations would take place during the combine. You have to have those, say. right? Well, Everybody's and, together and I, out and about. Yeah, yeah, and there's potentially some beverages, right, that impact <laughs> the way the conversation. And you're not really unfold. doing your job if you don't at least see who could be interested. Exactly. And vice versa. Exactly. And the, the trade that I think you're referencing, Doug, was 2014 when the Calgary Stampeders Traded for the first overall pick in the draft to take Pierre Labertine, offensive lineman out of Laval. The player that Ottawa got back was John Gott, who was a well-established center already at the time and ended up being a CFL all-star for them and a key piece of that offensive line when they won the Great Cup of 2016. So if I'm the Ottawa Red Blacks and somebody offers me a blue-chip Canadian offensive lineman for the first overall pick or an equivalent-type player, I'm doing it all day long. But... I think JC made a great point with the Red Blacks having so many picks already, right? Mm -hmm. If you're trading back in a draft, typically it's to accrue more capital, more picks. And first of all, I think JC said it again, you don't need more picks in this draft. And if there ever was a team that didn't need more picks in this draft, it's Ottawa, <laughs> right? There, there are teams in this draft, like, you know, you look at the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, they pick once in the first three rounds. That's a team that I could see trading out of the first draft potentially if they want more bodies. But a team like Ottawa, I don't think it makes sense. They to me, six times. Six times in the first three rounds. Well, scheduled. Scheduled, scheduled to. Yeah. Ottawa right now. And it's also interesting, boys. Let's talk about this, too. Toronto doesn't have a first-round pick. Toronto traded down. That was the part of the Jordan Williams trade. They don't have a lot of picks overall. There it goes. The Ticats don't have a lot of picks. But the Red Blacks have a million picks. And the <laughs> Alouettes have three in the top 12. So in the East Division, at least, this is a year where you're going to see a ton of bodies, barring potential trades, as we've discussed, in camp with the Red Blacks and the Alouettes, and not so much in Southern Ontario, at least in the East Division. So kind of an interesting thing that, that I'm looking at. I do think that the, the Argos and the Ticats have two of the better groups of Canadian talent in the league, but this year's draft inevitably, just based on the number of picks they have, is probably going to be thin for both teams. If you're the Red Blacks and you don't need those players, maybe you're looking at future picks, right? That could be the other possibility as well. And I, Think if you look at Toronto and that trade for Jordan Williams, 
They probably looked at the draft much in the same way that Chris Jones did with the Woody Avalon deal. We have the ninth pick, but we can get a guy who was the first overall pick, who won Rookie of the Year, who we know is a proven starter that can impact us right now. Like You spoke to Assistant General Manager Vince Magri at the Combine, and he felt like Jordan Williams should be at least pushing to start, if not starting, for the Argos. And if he starts, guess who he's starting over? Enoch Mwamba, a former first overall pick who Greg up was MVP. the Cup MVP and MVC, but I think there would be some debate about that <laughs> among the three of us if that was the right choice or not, but that is maybe... Well, maybe you should argue with like the three people who got to vote for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. I took it up with some of the powers <laughs> that be because I felt like there were other impacts on the game, but not to say that Enoch Mwamba wasn't impactful in the game. He certainly was, but that's why the Argos decided to make that trade to the point that you guys have made is because of the lack of depth in the class. I, I do want to add some context to that discussion because we brought up the lack of depth a couple of times. And I think sometimes that can be used as a tool to, you know, fight against the importance of Canadian talent or point to this and say, oh, the ratio should be reduced or whatever it is. The lack of depth in this class is because the CFL allowed players to defer until next year and a number of players who would have been drafted in this class, including guys who almost certainly would have been gone. There's 150 the, of them. In 150 the, guys opting out. And some of them are potential first-round picks. First-round locks, I first would argue. overall picks. I know. I Theo Benedict out of UBC, right? Absolutely. So these Calm are guys. Your UBC oh. bias, hey, this right? is this is He's not a UBC <laughs> bias. I will say on JC's behalf, Theo Benedict was going to be one of the top two picks in this draft and not the second one. Wow. <laughs> this was a class I was very excited Top about two, but not at the two. start of the year, at thinking it was going to be an absolutely loaded class, but so many of those guys deferred, so many of the NCAA guys transferred to larger schools and returned to school for next season, that that's all been kicked to next year, and this class has been much weaker than we anticipated a year ago. The and other point I think that could be made is there were five Canadians at the NFL Combine. The level of talent coming out of Canada that more and more is getting looked at by the NFL is rising year over year. We see it. We track all of the NFL draft picks of all time on 3downnation.com. We put together a great list with the help of, of course, you two guys and the venerable Mr. Dwayne Ford. But I think that's part of the reason as well, right? In the past, those guys would have been at the top of the CFL draft, but now they're raising the level every year. And I'll say this too. My first year at the combine was 2017 in Regina. That was considered a quote-unquote bad class. And a fifth-round pick out of Wilfred Laurier from that draft is arguably the best player <laughs> of the entire group, which was Kwaku Boateng, who was an outstanding pass rusher with the Edmonton Elks, didn't play this past year due to a season-ending injury. But the point is there's, there's always quality later on in the draft, regardless of how deep the class is or not. There's always a gem. You just got to find it. Boys, we're recording this podcast live and in person because we are all in Edmonton for the CFL Combine. So before the testing gets started tomorrow, I do need some bold predictions from each of you. Who's bringing the fastest 40 time tomorrow and who comes out of this Combine as the biggest riser? I'm going with my boy, Gabe Apaya, yes, I said Apaya, Kubi. <laughs> Gabe Apaya, Kubi, receiver. If you're going to pick York him, you should at least know how to say his name. <laughs> you say how you think you say it, and then we're going to ask him. I would say Gabriel Apaya, Kubi. Oh, I thought you guys were going with Apaya, Kubi. No, that was you, man. Really? Yeah, we switched you over to our side. You guys are messing around with my head. <laughs> Gabe Apaya, Kubi, 
I think will be the fastest guy at this combine. And he got here from the CFL's Invitational Combine, which goes way back to the draft OG Dwayne Ford, starting his own combine to get other guys' looks. And I think Gabe Apayakubi could be the fastest dude at the National Combine, but he's going to have some challenges. I'm going with Clark Barnes here, receiver out of Guelph. This feels weird. I'm banging the drum for Guelph. <laughs> Dunk is messing with York. <laughs> what gives? Anyways. I got respect for York. Okay, my first ever star came against Ricky Foley. He scared the daylights out of me. So oh I'll my God, I love. forgot about Actually, Okay, and full credit to York. Nikola Kalinich. Hello, Ricky Foley. Hell, they've had Andre some Dury. ballers. They've Hello. had some absolute ballers. <laughs> you just got to find a few more. That's all. Clark Barnes. JC, you just did a great sit-down interview with him. Our listeners will be able to find it on YouTube. He said straight up, I am the fastest receiver in this draft. He also said, I am the fastest player in this draft, though he did also mention another player who I imagine JC is going to bang the drum for in just a moment. Barnes was an absolute stud with the Griffins. He didn't play a lot this past year due to injury. He also got nicked up. He was supposed to be at the University at Buffalo combine uh, recently the pro day recently wasn't able to play because of the hamstring but he says he is ready to go he said he's feeling right i know that he struggled with injuries in the past but if clark barnes is on point and he is healthy he can run like the wind he said he's going to run in the four fours and i think he can do it i really do he's a game changer at the esports level he ran a four six three on a super slow track at the east west bowl last year I think he can easily shave a tenth of a second off of it. Wouldn't be surprised if he could shave two. Yeah, that four six three at the East West was very impressive, but it was not the fastest time at that event. That goes to Bishop's defensive back Jake Kelly, who ran a four five seven in the rain out there at the East West Bowl. So he's going to be my pick to take home the fastest forty yard dash. He can get in that same four four range. As Barnes and Apia Kubi can. He's done some returning. Apia Kobe? Kubi? Now you've got me turned around, man. (laughs) Come on. Like, I don't know where I'm going with it. He's done some returning for the Gators. He can do some things with the ball in his hands, as well as on the defensive side. Not the biggest guy, but certainly extremely, extremely fast. So, who is going to be the biggest riser, Dunk? That's a great question. That is a great. That's a <laughs> wow, one. wow. That insightful analysis from Justin Doug <laughs> right there. This is the Canada West broadcaster here. Speechless. From I don't want to talent. go Homer, so I'm not going to say Siraman Harrison Bagayogo, but I think he can definitely be a riser. I'll save him for you guys. That's why I'm pausing. But one of my favorites while I was doing the Canada West football showcase out west during the season was Jackson Ford. The grandson of former Rough Riders general manager Al Ford. This guy's an absolute stud, and he played, it felt like, almost every down. I think he could play offense, too. He was on the hands team, on kick return, catching onside kicks. He returned kicks, and he's all over the field on defense. He was clearly quarterback on the back end. I feel like that term is overused, but he was really that good. Obviously, he was playing defense with Ryder Varga, who was already a draft pick of the BC Lions. So that Regina Rams defense was stacked, but I think... If Jackson Ford can run fast, that will boost him up the board. For some reason, I keep wanting him to call call him Al Ford. Alan <laughs> was actually his grandfather's name. I don't know why. But if Jackson runs fast, I think he can be a good riser 
because of his versatility and the fact that you know you bring that guy in, if he has the requisite speed, he's going to be a core special teamer. I saw Ford at IG Field this past year, and I really loved what I saw on the field. He dislocated his shoulder briefly and then popped it in and just kept playing. <laughs> it was unbelievably heavy metal, and he was fantastic. So I, I'm high on Jackson Ford. I'm interested to see what he could do. But my riser is Quadro Bowen, who is here out of the University You're of Alabama. nailing that pronunciation. I hope so. He coached me before our interview that we did, <laughs> which, by the way, should be available on YouTube. He was also at York, York shout out, to start his U Sports career in 2018. Was That's named true, OUA. Guys. That's true. <laughs> was named OUA All-Rookie, was named the team's Rookie of the Year, played three seasons, obviously missed the COVID year in 2020, and then graduated and transferred to the Golden Bears for his final season of U Sports eligibility. He is somebody who is not currently on the Scouting Bureau rankings, which, let's be honest, aren't always the most accurate gauge of how scouts actually see things, but that's a conversation for another day. But I have been told by several sources that he is someone who could ter- uh, really turn the combine on its head in terms of testing. Six foot one, 280 pounds. He has experience rushing off the edge. He projects as a CFL defensive tackle. If he tests well, I'm told he could legitimately be a first-round pick, which is wild considering that he plays the deepest position in this draft. Defensive line, defensive line, defensive line. That is what we were repeatedly hearing from scouts as to how good this D-line group is, which is, by the way, fortunate for CFL fans because the D-line groups in recent years have generally been among the weaker positions. So this is kind of a makeup year. A lot of teams, I think, are going to be trying to go D-line, right? With O-line and often rule the roost in the first round of the draft. I don't think we're going to see that this year. If anything, I think we're going to see a run of defensive linemen, not a run of offensive linemen like we sometimes see. So Bowron, I think, is a guy who could be that riser. I really do. He wasn't a first-team All-Canadian. He wasn't a second-team All-Canadian. I talked to him about that. Anthony Bennett, who's a first-team All-Canadian out of Regina, is here. Tanner Schmeckel, defensive tackle, first all, uh, first-team All-Canadian, is here. I think that uh, I think that Bowen has 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 a chip on his shoulder, and I think he's here to prove that he's not a second-rate defensive lineman. I think he's here to prove that he should be a first-round pick. And for all the fans that are quickly googling Quadjo's name and trying to figure it out and, and looking at his statistics, I mean, like, what what is this? Why are we talking about him as a first-round pick? Goes back to what you pointed out there: two hundred eighty pounds. And he spent a lot of time rushing off the edge. That doesn't happen in the Canadian game very often. This is not south of the border where you routinely get 290-pound, 300-pound defensive edge. That's an anomaly. He may not look particularly explosive when compared to other defensive ends, but when you move him inside, his athleticism that allowed him to play on the edge is going to elevate him above other guys who were already relegated inside because they didn't have that quick t- twitch ability, that athletic burst. So he's a guy I am really high on as well. You mentioned Begayogo Dunk, and I'm not going to pick him as a riser because he's already up there in that upper echelon in my mind. I, I don't think there's anything he can do this week that can push him even higher up because he is that good. He's one of the most dominant cornerbacks ever at the U sports level. You look at the length, you look at the athleticism, he's got everything you want. I am going to stick with the defensive side of the ball and the DB position. Maybe it's a little bit of a cheat because this guy's already risen by the fact that he was invited from the Invitational Combine, 
but Talu Ahmed from the University of Toronto has a lot of the same traits that make Baggy Yogo great, but hasn't gotten a lot of the same level of credit. I've had receivers in the OUA tell me he's right up there with Baggy Yogo at, in terms of one of the most dominant DBs they've played against. He has the length. He has the movement skills. Now that he's here, when he competes against the best this week, he may be able to elevate himself much higher than anyone would have projected because he's going to show it in a way that he didn't necessarily get to do while at Toronto because, well, let's face it, the Varsity Blues have not exactly been a dominant team in recent years, and so not everyone is is popping on their tape all the time. So he's a guy that I really like at this event, and I'm, I'm very interested to see how he performs against top receivers like Clark Barnes. Is there anyone else you want to highlight, boys, before we move to the three-minute drill? The one person I want to I want to highlight is Lake Corte Moore, mm-hmm. defensive lineman of UBC, because he said he listens to our podcast. Every <laughs> Shout out! What do we call him? LKM. LKM. I I will throw in a, a couple things here. <laughs> he first, is also a damn good player. I'll make that. <laughs> first of all, I I just want to say the offensive line group is is the most intriguing to me because it is because you're an lineman because I'm an lineman, mm-hmm. but also because that's typically a class that's a strength. It's an important part of the CFL draft. It's not really this year. And there hasn't been a guy who sort of sees control of that number one spot. I think someone can come out of this combine, whether it's Phil Grahovac, whether it's Evan Florin, whether it's a guy who played in the States like Edouard Paradis, who we talked to today. If they have a really good combine, they show out well, they're going to cement themselves as the top offensive lineman and draft class that beyond Dante Bull, who there are a lot of people who aren't particularly high on him because of how large he is and he doesn't move particularly well, of course, coming off injury as well, they can seize that status and cement themselves. The last thing I'll say on this topic, and you boys are going to roll your eyes, <laughs> oh and boy. it's acceptable. Here we go. But I have to say it. There is a global player here that I am very excited to see. Yes, indeed. Spanish defensive end Alejandro Fernandez. Played for the Barcelona Dragons. He's only 21 years old. No college experience. I think he can be the best true global player since Theodric Hansen. I think he could be better than Theodric Hansen. He is to European football what watching Matthew Betts at U Sports in Laval was. He's explosive off the line. He flashes skills. He's still got tons of room to develop because he's only 21. 15 and a half sacks last year in the ELF. The guy across from him on the other side of the line, familiar name to football fans, Michael Sam. He had seven sacks. This guy had more than double Sam's numbers. Ooh. He is a dominant player in Europe. I'm thrilled to see him at this event. He's been working out with former Baltimore Ravens uh, Super Bowl winning strength coach Jeff Friday down in the States, getting him prepped for this combine. I think he's going to show up. Why have we not had an article about this kid on Three Down Nation. You love your globals. We can get one this week, Doug. We can get one this week. But that's why you listen to Three Down Nation podcast for inside info like that. This guy's playing across from Michael Sam, who couldn't even hack it in the CFL. (laughs) Before we move on, we've got to talk about quarterbacks. There's probably not a draftable quarterback in this class. You guys are rolling your eyes or saying, you got to get your Canadian quarterbacks in there. But Arnaud Desjardins from Laval Mm. is on a upward trend that I think could see him get a legitimate look in the CFL. He throws the ball so well and accurately. He's got that more old school pro style frame, 
but he's a guy that could be really intriguing and with a even solid passing session, let alone great here in front of CFL scouts, could really put himself on the radar. He's obviously much different from guys with skill sets like Nathan Rourke or Trey Ford, but he's a dude that, and I feel like this term gets used way too much, especially during draft season, but can legitimately already make every throw on a Canadian field at the university level. It's one thing to do it at the CFL level with the Americans on the field and everything else, but he has the makings of a guy who could be really good in the CFL and potentially maybe gets NFL looks down the line, and he's already got a Vanier Cup ring. That's really great, Doug, but he's not eligible for two years. He's I know, but I'm saying it's the start of this process, and this is part of the reason why the Combine is important is for the rest of Canada and people who are CFL fans who sometimes claim that they're a fan of Canadian football for us to put these guys on the radar. I get that he's far away. He's only been two years at Laval, already has a Vanier ring, and clearly even as a freshman was a guy that had the type of leadership that you knew could lead to a championship. Whereas number 12 likes to kind of emulate his game a little bit after Tom Brady. He's already got one ring, trying to get multiple, like TB12. Extremely efficient. I mean, 73% completion percentage last season. I, I would think, like I think when you're throwing to Kevin Mattal yeah, exactly. probably helps that a yeah, little bit. When you're throwing to the Heck Crichton Trophy, one of the most dominant players we've ever seen at the receiver position in U Sports history. That helps bump up your numbers. Most a little definitely. Bit. So before we go to the three minute drill, I just I'm having a little reflective moment here. I, I think I need a soapbox because JC's got his globals, Dunk's got his Canadian quarterbacks, and I'm having a bit of an identity crisis. <laughs> and though our listeners probably do not want to listen to a third soapbox item, I feel like I'm entitled to one. So stay What's tuned. It be? Well, stay tuned. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna develop one, and hopefully it's it's interesting for our listeners. We'll figure it out over we'll our time out. in Edmonton, and perhaps it'll come out on the next podcast. Let's get it going, boys. Alouette's general manager, Danny Machocha, met with new owner Pierre-Carl Pelado for the first time last Friday, calling his purchase of the club a, quote, relief and a, quote, inspiration. Does that sum up how you feel as well? Well, I would certainly feel that way if I'm Danny Machocha, because the guy writing my checks is worth 2.6 billion Canadian. How, Ooh, how can you argue with that? Billion! Canadian linebacker Kevin Francis has publicly demanded a trade or release from the Edmonton Elks after signing with the team in free agency. What do you make of the situation? It's a little bit of a mess, right? And they paid Kevin Francis a bunch of money, led the league in special teams tackles with the BC well, Lions a year ago. they haven't ago. paid him yet. That is true. That is what According Kevin Francis to Kevin is Francis. claiming. They pay, uh, they, the contract he signs worth $122,000, or... Yeah, $122,000 in hard money with a $25,000 signing bonus. He alleges he hasn't seen a cent yet. I spoke to Chris Jones, the head coach and general manager of the Edmonton Elks yesterday. He essentially dismissed the issue. He said, we're going to deal with it. We are not going to trade or release him. He will be with the team next year. So we'll see what comes out of this. Dunk, you reported that new BC Lions quarterback, Dane Evans, took a pay cut of more than $300,000 after being traded from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Is that a smart deal for Evans? It is because it was really the only way he was going to stay in the league. He was going to be probably a backup quarterback. Maybe the best other situation would have been for him to go to the Argonauts, but the Ticats didn't want to trade him to a division rival. So I think it makes sense. It's a fresh start. It takes a lot of pressure off Dane Evans, and I think he needs to prove that he's able to play with the pressure of professional football. We'll see that if that can happen down the line. Former Winnipeg Blue Bombers backup quarterback Dakota Krukop has left for a shot in the United States Football League, but told you 
that he's open to returning to Canada in the future. Do you think he could be back north of the 49th parallel? I do, and, and I'd encourage listeners to read the full article that I recently wrote on him. I'm sure it'll pop up if you Google Dakota Prukop, but... He's a guy who wants playing time. He's been a backup in the CFL for five years. And on top of that, him and his wife, Blair, are expecting a baby like next month. Like, like this baby's coming very soon. And so he has the opportunity to, over the course of a 10-week USFL season, make close to 60,000 American dollars, which with the exchange rate right now is about the same amount that he would make in the Canadian Football League. So this is not just a professional decision for him at the New Jersey Generals. By the way, playing for former Winnipeg Blue Bombers head coach Mike Riley, which is wild. Riley also coached at USC with Prukop's dad the year that Prukop was born in 1993. So they've got these deep cuts between the two of them. But I do think he said himself, I think it's very likely that he'd be back and, and he loved his time in Winnipeg. So it wouldn't shock me if he was back with the Blue Bombers. Calgary Stampeders defensive end James Vodder said he returned to the CFL after a four-year NFL stint because he, quote, enjoyed playing the game here more than anywhere else since high school, close quote. Is that the right mindset? I think it is. I, I was really impressed by his quotes because he talked about having fun playing the game and, and how his mindset had changed since going to the NFL. Being entirely focused on, on being the best and, and thinking you're a pro ball athlete because I think the thing that a lot of CFL players or guys going for the NFL have at the start of their careers, as they age, you realize truly the experience is, is being around the best players, learning at the edge, and then ultimately finding a spot where you can be happy, you can play the game you love, and you can do it at a high level. James Waters has that with the Calgary Stampeders. He's going to get paid a good chunk of change by that team to be their starting defensive end. And I think it was, gonna, what, about 175 I, I 160 hard, I think, was, was the number in my head, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but it's going to be certainly a great spot for him at this stage in his life and his career to really put down some roots and enjoy the later years of his football career. Our Montreal contributor, Matthew Ross, believes that former Alouette's cheerleader turned basketball executive Annie LaRouche is the perfect candidate to be the team's next president. Do you agree with that? I definitely agree. LaRouche seems like she has built herself up in the business world and also has the tie to the CFL, understands how it works. I believe she worked in community relations with the team as well. So I think she would be an excellent selection. And I think PKP, Pierre Carl Pelado, believes that as well because in the press conference, he was asked about it and he said it in French, but Ross translated it for us. And he said to the reporter in French, do you know more than you're letting on? I think you're pretty smart. So let's see if LaRouche is indeed that next president. I think she would be a wonderful selection in addition to the CFL. Riders president Craig Reynolds says he sees, quote, challenges in your idea, Hodge, of a league-owned expansion franchise. You suggested the concept last week on the pod. Does this give you pause or should they follow your idea? Well, there are challenges and the challenges are trying to broaden the minds of people who are short-term thinkers. <laughs> so maybe we need to broaden those minds and grow this league instead of just settling back into the old mindset of, well, we can't do it because we're a small league and you know we can't really afford it. I'm not calling Reynolds that, by the way, but clearly there are decision makers who I don't think are thinking big enough 
on this Halifax issue. If you're gonna, and by the way, if you're gonna stake as much as you have as the CFL, talking and talking and talking and talking, you can't then say, but somebody else has to take on the risk and do all the work. <laughs> if you really believe in it that much, DIY, my friends, do it yourself. Your alma mater, JC, the BC Thunderbirds, have added legendary CFL offensive Sorry, line BC coach. BC Thunderbirds, UBC. They're in BC. UBC. Yes, but you uh, gotta say the full name. It's out like of respect. Come on, respect. The full Come name on. then would be the University of British UBC. Columbia. UBC. UBC. Let's start the chat here, boys. <laughs> That ended yes. pretty quick. Yeah, only, as it often is, does at UBC. Is, is it a chance if there's one person doing it? You I don't know, think so. I would say so because I was the one person at the game chanting it. But so this yeah. isn't the first time you've embarrassed yourself by being the only one. Doing Not, at all. Not at all. Oh, fair enough. The UBC <laughs> Thunderbirds have added legendary CFL offensive white coach Dan Durant. You as in you were the only one chanting UBC. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and... and BC standing for bad Jace. I don't know where I was going with that. What's the C name in your name, Tim? Campbell. Campbell. Well, oh, you know, I, I revealed that publicly. That was a uh -oh. deeply held secret. Why are you ashamed of, of your name, but you're not ashamed of chanting alone? <laughs> yes. Because the children might tell, call me by my first name when I coach, and I don't let them. So well, I they're not allowed to call you John. They're still not allowed to. Oh, you now you said both names. Yeah, too bad. The J was uh, obvious, wasn't it? Yeah, the J was obvious. You know, they've never gotten nobody there. with the first name that I know, Jason or Justin or Jacob or Jeffrey. How we count would have initials. Jeff. Well, you go by J when your name is John because there's a million John. Yeah, <laughs> he's just trying to differentiate. Yeah, differentiate I don't blame him. I have a litany of nicknames for that same reason. <laughs> Dan Durazio. If we can talk about football again momentarily, <laughs> is the new offensive line coach at the University of British Columbia, and former Saskatchewan Huskies quarterback Mason Nias, Canada West All Star this past year, is also joining the coaching staff. Are those smart additions? I think they are. I mean, Durazio's resume speaks for itself, so I won't spend too much time talking about it. But Nias is it's such an intelligent player, and I spoke to. Head coach Blake Nell earlier today, he said, most guys his age are graduate assistants. This is not a graduate assistant. He is a full-time coach. He deserves that. This is a guy who beat UBC in the Hardy Cup just four months ago, right? And the team has already welcomed him with open arms. They're absolutely thrilled to have him on board. And you know what? As an alumni, I am too. Well, if you can't, if you can't beat him, hire him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Sportsnet left the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Edmonton Elks off their St. Patrick's Day graphic when asking fans for their favorite green jersey in sports. Is that an acceptable omission for a Canadian broadcast? Hell no. And I spent multiple years working at Sportsnet and Rogers paid my paychecks, but this is egregious. They had a Mexican green soccer jersey on this graphic and we were getting replies on Twitter saying, well, they're covering the major North American sports leagues. Where does the Mexican men's national soccer team jersey fit into that? And you have the Rough Riders jersey, and I'm obviously not a Riders fan, but arguably one of the most iconic sports jerseys, maybe in the history of the world, but definitely in North America, that is worn all over the world. And you don't have that on your graphic? Terrible omission by Sportsnet. Be better. I think some of my colleagues over there would agree. Now, granted, we don't know the process to put this graphic together, but still, be better Sportsnet. Former CFL on TSN broadcaster Chris Schultz has 
posthumously been inducted into the media wing of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Is that deserved? Oh, of course. I mean, Chris Schultz was synonymous for two decades, close to anyway, with the CFL on TSN. Not only did he have a great career playing the Dallas Cowboys, three seasons, nine seasons with the Toronto Argonauts, but I think a lot of people who are CFL fans today aren't even aware of that, right? Like, I, I'm too young to remember Schultz playing, but I watched him break down film and highlights on, on the panel for, for the better part of two decades. And that's how I think of Chris Schultz. When I think of Chris Schultz, I think of him as an analyst. I, I know he was a great player. I know he started for the Cowboys for, for time. I know he won a great cup with the Argos, but uh, certainly deserving of being in the media wing. And folks, we encourage you to listen, to check out YouTube, check out our website. We're in Edmonton. We're recording this on Wednesday. We're in Edmonton for the next four or five days, some of us. We're going to have an unbelievable amount of content coming out of the combine. Not just draft related, some of it will be other mm -hmm. things. So keep it tuned to Three Down Nation. Tons of content, Hodge. We talk to every head coach, every GM or co-GM or assistant GM or whatever other long titles they got. That was 18 interviews. And then you guys did a bunch of prospect interviews as well that were really intriguing. I think there's a competition there, but Anthony Bennett might be the best interview <laughs> of the entire combine. I think Anthony Bennett's the best interview I've ever had. <laughs> Ooh, let's say what unbelievable lot. energy from I that. I don't necessarily game. think he's going to fit into the Blue Bombers type of culture that Michael Shea likes, but hopefully lands on a CFL team that accepts him for who he is. I mean, the the bombers don't like controversy. I don't think Anthony Bennett would bring controversy. I, in fact, imagine him and Willie Jefferson that on be, a defensive line together. I'm not saying he's going to overtake Jackson Jeffcoat, but I just want to be a fly. There'd be a lot of talking conversation. Absolutely, <laughs> no, but but it's positive energies bring. I, I don't think the bombers would rule him out. But I also don't think the Bombers are looking for a defensive end with their pick at eight overall. And I also don't know that Anthony Bennett's going to be on the board when the Bombers pick their pick at eight Ooh. overall. We'll have to wait and see. A conversation between Mike O'Shea and Anthony Bennett would be 95% Anthony Bennett and 5% Mike O'Shea going, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this edition of Three Donation Podcast. Check in with us next week.